Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Anthony Raffle, head chef at Anglo in London and foraging and fermenting maestro. Coming up on today's show... Anthony gets a baptism of fire in one job. Now we've got Gordon Ramsay running around, which is great. But the reason he's here is because you're on Kitchen Nightmares. Phil talks about his parents. Damn these parents for having foresight and knowledge. And Anthony tells us the real reason he ended up in the kitchen. Do I do hairdressing? If I do that, I'm going to be absolutely ripped apart from my friends. All that and so much more as we chat through Anthony's story and journey to date. There's also some fantastic content in here about foraging and the all-round creative process, amongst many other things. Don't forget to give us a like and a share across your favourite social channels. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we're back in the kitchen and we welcome someone who, on the face of it, keeps himself rather busy with projects that clearly appeal to his passion, such as being a writer for the Prime Edition and Chibari magazine, also an ambassador for Earth Ale, a microbrewery in North London, and his day job is head chef at the fabulous Anglo restaurant in Farringdon in London. So I am delighted to welcome to the show Anthony Raffle. Hello there, how are you? I'm very well, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, very good, very relaxed. Oh, that's good, that's a good start, good start. Where uh, where in the world are you today? Well, at the moment I'm just in uh, a small town called Fareham, which is on the south coast. It's where I grew up, I've uh, escaped London for a bit to get away from everything. So usually I'm, I'm in London, but I've, I've escaped to... Uh, to come by the seaside and reflect and everything and then get back to before we get back to uh, work when we can open on the 18th yeah well, well that's what one clear month from now yeah very good yeah for context we're actually recording this on the 18th of march 2021 and yeah i think there's there's a, a an increasing level of excitement happening i can feel it but uh, i think it's also one of those that we'll kind of believe it when we see it right yeah it's one of them isn't it where uh We've heard it all before, but uh, fingers crossed this time it's it's definitely going to go ahead. And yeah, I think everyone's itching to get back into a kitchen now. With creative people, they need to create. And once uh, once that's been taken away, it's very difficult. So yeah, let's hope. Fingers crossed. But I'm I'm definitely optimistic this time for sure. Great. Well, that's that's brilliant. Mm. So right. Well, before we get into kind of everything that you you've got your head into right now. Let's go all the way back to the, uh, the the beginning. How did you get into hospitality in the first place? Oh, very long time ago now. <laughs> but um, it was when I was at school, I was probably like many chefs, not really not really into going to classes, don't really want to listen, um, just not enjoying being in an ac- academic sort of situation at all. So whenever I could bunk off school and not be at school, I wasn't. And then there was, uh, because of that, I didn't really, wasn't doing very well at school either. So I was put in this program or given this opportunity where if I wanted to, I could um, go to the local college once a week and do do a lesson there or learn a, learn a craft. So it was the choice between either motor mechanics, hairdressing or catering. And right. I, was de- I was going to go straight for motor mechanics because that's what uh, my my old man does he used to work for the RAC but he's retired now but at the time he was working for the RAC so I thought well if my dad does it he's made a good living out of it I'll, I'll do that tried to get into there but all the uh, all the places were taken and I thought oh god do I do hairdressing if I do that I'm going to be absolutely ripped apart from my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't think that would be a very good idea. So I thought, right, I'll just give catering a go because at the end of the day, it's just a, a day off school. I can just go to college, less hours, get home quicker, all this business. Mm. And the first day, I think all we did was the teacher taught us how to do a fry-up, just an English breakfast. And I, right. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great being able to create something and just even cooking the sausages, making them a perfect colour. It was, I just loved it, fell in love with it from the first lesson. Do you know the, the the funny thing about that is is that the, I was always taught that the, the first meal that you should ever get right in your life as a human is breakfast, because yeah. if you um, if you pull at the nightclub or whatever, then obviously that's the last impression that you make on someone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> anyway, that's a good one. I have to remember. Yeah. A little insight into my uh, <laughs> my early twenties there. Uh, anyway, I, I digress. Uh, carry on. Um, well, that was that was kind of it, really. And then I went I went to college, but I did kind of fall out of love of still being in this academic sort of situation. And once I'd been in college for I think so it was three years the course. I think I did two years, and then I was like, no, I need to need to be in the kitchen and actually doing this instead of just being in a classroom with a load of nutters. So I, <laughs> I, I got an apprenticeship, and then I started working in this little pub, washing up dishes at sixteen, which was through through the college. And then, yeah, just worked. So I started as a KP and I just worked my way up from there, really. Got you. So what was the, the place? Where were, where was this? Well, the, the first place I went to was um, the Bugle Hotel in Titchfield. So Titchfield's a tiny little uh, town right next to Fairham, which is an equally tiny little town on the south coast. And, um, yeah, I worked there for a while. And then I just enjoyed, like, working with the older older gentlemen. They've, they've just been didn't give a crap really and just didn't care about swearing going out for cigarettes every five minutes and sometimes occasionally drinking beer on the job <laughs> right. at least we're talking many years ago now but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah for me i thought yeah this is this is great yeah so at, at this point in time had you already kind of developed a, a bit of a connection to it um well into catering well yeah before before any of that i mean I was very lucky where when I was growing up, my mum would always be cooking home cooked meals, but she wouldn't be just shoving stuff in from the freezer into the oven. She'd always be cooking things from scratch, right. say like a fish pie and things like that, which at the time I didn't really think anything of it. And I didn't really think much of it because I thought, well, it's just my mum's cooking me dinner going on the table. But growing up and later on in life, I realized that not everyone had that kind of opportunity and not everyone had that. So thinking back now that had a big but she would always be making cakes and stuff so it'd be it was a big part subliminally really and then it's kind of grown from there where I th- thought you know it must have been so difficult to be cooking different things for five people every day keep them interested nutritious and all this business didn't mm. think of it at the time but now looking back on it it must have had must have had some impact for sure yeah, and I suppose as well the the other element of that is always about managing the the household budget as well, right? So well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, we were never have never had a lavish life, but um, definitely definitely cracked out some good meals, Mom. Yeah, yeah, and that was pro- probably a, in a time before organic, and all that. The kind of the focus on, well, I'm hoping that the focus is now returning a little bit more to kind of classic farming techniques as opposed to industrialized farming techniques but none of this would have been in the public eye back then i would imagine it, it wasn't it wasn't popular no i mean there was there would always have a it's always been a subculture of people that's always into local and organic and stuff like that i mean we had 
the dairy just at the end of our road now, which is all uh, houses now. But we had a dairy, local dairy, and we had a butcher up the road, which is another shop and everything. They've all gone now. But we were, yeah, getting stuff from local suppliers, where at the time it was just normal. But now it's it's a fashionable, trendy thing to do to go to your butchers, which, you know, it's good that it is fashionable and trendy. I just hope it's going to stay fashionable and trendy because it's a hell of a lot better than going to these massive conglomerates like Tesco's and Sainsbury's and stuff. Yeah, no doubt. So at this point, you that was the, the place where you kind of got your, your start in inverted commas in, into chefing. Yeah, so yeah, that was that was the beginning really, but uh, it was with, with my mum doing all home-cooked food and then just trying to get out of, getting out of school really and out of college as quickly as possible and actually just getting into work. I always found... It was more enjoyable being at work and having fun with people there than it was kind of at school. It seemed like it was too regimented and college was too regimented. I didn't enjoy it. I'd rather be able to do my own thing when I kind of wanted instead of being able to create. Because when, when I was still, even when I was at the pubs, and I've, I've worked from pubs to restaurants to hotels to chalets, done to coffee shops, I've done them all. But wherever you are, you always got a little space to kind of create and you can do your own little dishes every now and then and get your head chef to try them and stuff yeah. at uh, at college I just found that you didn't have that you'd be like right today we're for example we're making a clarified stock a consomme and that's what we're doing you're not going to have to, you're not going to go off piece anywhere you just have to do that and that's it and that kind of thing I didn't just didn't sit right with me with catering for me catering is right. more of um, something you can you can play around with and create you know well, that's two different parts of your brain, isn't it? Is the the classroom learning, as it were, of how to make a consomme versus okay, that's how I make the consomme, but now what do I do with it, and what do I, you know, that's when the the creative part of your brain kicks in, and if you're being regimented and that you're naturally drawn into your creative space, then uh, I can see that 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 might have been a little bit restrictive. Well, that's exactly it. you've hit the nail on the head. It was like right, yeah, we're going to do. A consomme today we've done the consomme right you get this i'll sign the bottom of your page you get a tick in the box and then you can go home it's like okay right brilliant so now now what can i do with what i've learned which was never really i mean it was a while ago since i went to college so it might change by now but yeah. at, at the time it was yeah it just seemed like you're just there to be signed off and ticked a box and then you go home there's no room for right yeah let's experiment what we can do with this clarify stock can we clarify any different other stocks and things like that you know is there any different ways to clarify it i suppose it's maybe given you maybe you didn't realize at the time but maybe a base learning that kind of just goes into your subconscious and you kind of then you just you just get all this stuff and so when you're coming up with creative ideas now maybe some of this is actually coming back or or is that completely off the mark um in a in a sense yes but uh, a lot of the things that i learned at college is not so much obsolete because you'll always have those those classic classic dishes or those classic classic techniques but i'm very much always trying to use different techniques or or use them in a, a completely different way to what they originally was supposed to be used if that makes sense like i, I yeah. like to try and so whatever the customer's eating it's relatable but it's completely different. Yeah, so that's what I like to do with my cooking. So yeah, in a way, yes, it was. Well, it definitely. I am where I am today, so it's it's done me some good. But uh, it just at the time, it didn't really tick my boxes. 
So it's just it's like learning to drive, and then once you've actually passed your test, that's when you really learn to drive. Well, I've, I've not learned to drive, so I wouldn't know. Ah, okay. So that was, that was a crap illusion. <laughs> cool. So where where did you go uh, after the pub? Oh, so I've done lots and lots of things. I was moving around all the time. Like I said, I did a lot of a lot of stuff. So in um, canteens, more pubs, uh, small restaurants, um, just like little local restaurants, like an Italian restaurant and stuff like that. And then I did ho- big hotels. I worked in this place called The Granary, which featured on um, Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares, so that wasn't the best place to work at. You, you weren't working there when he was in, were you? Well, I was there. I, I worked there, and then I left, and I and, uh, went to work in France for a bit, and I worked in a hotel in France. And then when I came back, he was there to do his revisit. And then I, right. I, I was standing there in the kitchen thinking, hang on, so you've just done Kitchen Nightmares, and you've just re-employed me because you want me back. And now we've got Gordon Ramsay running around, which is great. But the reason he's here is because you're on Kitchen Nightmares. He didn't quite tell me that before I came back. Oh, uh... <laughs> well, by the way, yeah. uh, Ramsay's due a return visit where he's... Well, I, the, the return visit's always a lot softer, isn't it, than the, the full-on first oh, he, visit? Yeah, he walked in and he was singing everyone's graces and saying, oh, yeah, so much better. Look at look at a great job you've done. And then a couple of... like Under a year, it was closed, so... We didn't do that great a job, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, I bet they never did a, a revisit of that one. Well, um, I, I, that I passed. I passed it a couple of days ago, and it's, um, it's turned into a, the building is now a head office of an accountancy firm now. So, oh really? Yeah. It's, all it's, that, it's all gone. All that cookery history gone. Yeah, I mean, it'd, it'd been a it'd been a restaurant for a very very long time, but uh, unfortunately, yeah, no more. But yeah, I did. I did that, and then I went. To, I was like I said, I was in France for a while. Worked in a hotel, but I found that that quite difficult because I found that the. Um, I mean, it might be different to some kitchens, but that t- kitchen was it was definitely pick on the English guy. Right. Yeah, they didn't make it very easy, and it was quite difficult. So I didn't. I didn't last very long there, and then I was working also in um, a hotel that did catered for like uh, kids um, ski holidays. So I worked there for a bit, and um, but yeah, I've done done all sorts done it all really and then I moved later on I moved on to to Michelin and that was a whole different ball game for sure okay yeah so is this is this kind of your first foray into fine dining for want of a, a better phrase I was I was doing fine dining in a sense where I mean I was working in two rosette restaurants and they were classed as fine dining but it wasn't up to the level of when I went into Michelin then I was like oh wow this is uh this is definitely a massive step up. This is this is proper fine dining. But yeah. I, did, I did work in a few restaurants where they'd class themselves as fine dining, and they were doing good food, but it wasn't anywhere near the standard that the Mich- the London Michelin places I worked at was. Right. Uh, I worked in uh, Pied de Terre, and then I worked in no, I worked in Texture for a while, and then I moved on to Pied de Terre. Quite big restaurants in the London London scene, but uh, yeah, and, and Texture's gone. It's heartbreaking. It was one of my uh, my favourite outposts. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a little bit too expensive at the time for me to ever eat there. But uh, it was. I, I'm very much into Nordic cooking, and it was one of the only restaurants in the country or in England that was doing Nordic food that had a Michelin star. Mm. So that's why I originally went there. Yeah, it's a bit. It's a big shame that they've they've gone because it's. I don't. There there are a lot of restaurants now that have been opening that are. Doing the same sort of ethos as Nordic cuisine, but that was 
that was patient zero, in the lack of a better uh, analogy. Yeah. But it was, um, that was the place to be if you wanted Nordic cooking. So it's a big, it's a big shame that it's gone now. I think he's gone back to uh, Aggie was the owner. I think he's gone back to Iceland. Has he? I think right. he's opened another restaurant in Iceland now. Yeah. So that's where he was. Uh, he was originally from. Well, hopefully there's a, a regroup and he'll go again mm. at some point and come back. Hopefully so. It's the first place that I ever had flavoured snow, and that's not in the kind of the childhood yellow snow that you never eat <laughs> kind of sense, but um, it was on a, a starter. And remember um, remember being blown away by the kind of the the creativity uh, around the dish. Well, that's it. That's a, like I was saying before, I, I'm very much into having something that's recognisable but completely different and... A snow, you can look at the plate and be like, "Oh, that's uh, that's just a fancy powder." But when you taste it and then it melts in your mouth and it's and you realise it's some sort of snow, then um, people, it's it's a very memorable thing, and that's a, yep. another thing that attracted me to go to texture. Well, I, I still remember it today, and that was well, that's go, probably yeah. six years ago that I ate there somewhere around that that time. Yeah, so. You're well. You're now beginning at this point, by the sounds of it, to really kind of get into some really. Uh, exceptional places in terms of uh, does this now start naturally honing your technique and kind of honing who you want to become as a chef i mean by by this point i'd already kind of knew what the direction i wanted to go but i was i was working there to put the the uh, michelin star on my cv kind of thing so mm. because i do like nordic cooking i was at uh, texture but when you when you work in those sort of places you, Again, you don't get that much room for creativity because they've they've got their star, they've been open for so many years, they know what they have to do to maintain that star. So you're kind of the cog in a wheel that's going to carry that on and make sure that they maintain that star by doing what you're told and told yeah. in some cases very uh, very aggressively. But right, yeah, it's um, it, it it definitely gave me more. I learned more about how creative I can be when I go home, so it'll give me lots of ideas and then when I go home I can play around with things. Um, sometimes I'd be in the kitchen at like one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, doing just a little piece that I'd hide in the fridge somewhere that I can taste later to see how it is. And then hopefully I could go to the head chef and tell, tell him, oh, this tastes nice. But uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a learning curve. And uh, like I said, it was a massive step up. Yeah, so it's teaching you the the, the sort of, or, or certainly maybe not teaching you, but it's kind of uh, cementing the precision element. But you're still a little bit restricted at this point in terms of conforming to what, well, the rules of the house. Well, it, it definitely it definitely taught me discipline for sure. And, yeah, and I learned very quickly to do as I was told by then, because like I was saying, when I was at college and stuff like that, and when I was at school. And, much younger, I didn't really like being told what to do, but the, these places definitely taught me that I should, to learn how to deal with being told what to do, and I, I learned that very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So from from there, where did you go next? So then um, I worked. I, I kind of wanted a little break from Michelin, so I went and worked in a pub again in London just for a, a respite. It was only uh, a Green King, nothing nothing special, but it had accommodation above it, so I was just. Uh, just laying low for a while and kind of licking my wounds from uh, from Michelin, and then after regrouping that, exactly regrouping, yeah. And then after that, I went to uh, I got an offer from a guy called Matt Edmonds, who used to be the head chef of the uh, the Gherkin, right? And he just he just taken over a place called Auberge, uh, Auberge de Lac, which was in Bocquet yeah. Hall, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful place. Oh, stunning. And um, it, a large golf course and a large area. So it was uh, where I kind of kick-started my love of foraging was there. But he said, yeah. would you would you like to come on as my sous chef? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. It's my time now to get back into fine dining. I've, I've regrouped. Maybe not go straight back in the deep end of Michelin, but I'll definitely come on. And he was like, well, we're going to push, try to push for a star and and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was quite happy. By this time, I was like, right, I kind of miss it now. So, yeah, let, let's go for it. I mean, we never we never did achieve a star there. But um, it was, like I said. Did like, it not? I, I thought it did have a star at one point. It, it had one, and then it closed, and then we, we took over. So because ah, it right. closed, it had to start all over again. So it, I know that the, the ownership changed hands frequently, didn't it? Yes, there was a, a lot of rich businessmen coming and going and take, taking over the lease and then passing it on to other people. It was all, all yeah. that sort of thing going on. But, uh, but yes, it was a, a beautiful site and very uh, very happy memories there. It's where I met my uh, my fiance now, Marie. She was working in front of house. She was only supposed to be there for a, a couple of months to improve her English because she's from France, uh, Brittany. Right. And... Um, we fell in love, and it was a love story like that. So now we've now we're inseparable. We've any if anyone employs me, they have to employ Marie now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we uh, yeah. So I worked there for a little bit, and then Mark. That's when I got an offer from Mark Jarvis, who I'm working with now, to uh, come and work in a little private members club called Trade in Soho. Right. And again, like I said, uh, I said to them, "Well, if you take me, you have to take Marie." So we went over there. We worked there for a bit, and. Um, covid kind of hit and then uh, it was kind of a good thing in a way for us because then mark offered me to be his head chef at anglo which is where i am now so so you you've gone over to to anglo post first lockdown is that right or were you there before so with um trade it was anglo at trade so mark was doing kind of a residency there so i was taken on as the head chef to make sure the residency at that private members club was running smoothly and successful. Mm. And then COVID hit. And then once COVID hit, Mark opened up from the Anglo site, a bakery called Sammy Sourdough and said, would I like to, to come on and help him do the bake sourdoughs and bake bread and pastries and stuff and then deliver them around London. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm more than happy to do that. We did that for a while, then got on, realised that we uh, had a lot in common and worked in some similar places, and he, we got on very well. And he said, well, would you like to come and be head chef at Anglo? And I said, yeah, lovely, but uh, again, you'd have to bring Marie. So now I run, I run the kitchen and Marie runs front of house as the restaurant manager. Right, right. Totally inseparable. But that's yeah. quite cool. I quite like the, the, the idea of uh, the, the fact that you, that you come as a pair. Because, you know, that's life as well, right? I mean, it's... Um... I mean, it has its ups and downs, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> It's, it's yeah. never easy. It's not always easy, sorry. But um, no, it, it's it's definitely good for us because we work very well as a team. And it's, for me, I'm very happy to have Marie, Marie go out and serve my food because she knows exactly everything about it. Because she's yeah. the one that's been sat on the sofa next to me on a weekend watching Netflix and I'll just start blurting out, oh, how about this goes with that? Or how about we change that for this? Or what's the wine pairing you're going to do to have with that? So it's yeah, kind can, of... you, can you shut up a minute? I'm, <laughs> I'm just getting to the good bit of... Uh, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's 
so she's she's there all the time so she's she's always taking in what i'm blabbering out so she's always got that so it's she's fully committed to it so she can she knows every single bit about she knows from a dish all the way from the ground all the way up so there's no one better to explain the food or even have a wine pairing with the food because she's she's just as passionate as myself with it all so it's it's definitely a definitely a good thing for us it works for us i know there are a few people that work with their spouses and their family members and stuff that it's not that easy but for us it's it's okay it's working pretty well yeah, well, I suppose there's a, a level of trust that you that you automatically have, right? That you know that they've got your back and vice versa. Exactly, yeah, exactly that. And clearly, there's there's a you know you've got a mutual passion in uh, in producing high caliber cooking and and delivering high caliber service. Well, she she's like I said, she's from France, so it's kind of ingrained in her already from her culture. But uh, yeah, she's it's definitely it's definitely good like because we're together all the time as well and we know each other more than just in a working relationship she also can second guess me and know exactly what i'm going to want before i even know myself what i want which is (laughs) very helpful as well yeah absolutely so you're i I mean i have to say i am probably late to the party in in terms of getting to to know you and and who you are we were brought together by the wonderful Magella lovely lady uh, yeah she very kindly invited me to one of her foodie zooms of which you were showcasing a dish that day and i think since then i've followed you and i have to say your instagram feed is just dribbly good <laughs> thank you you definitely know how to to make a a, a plate of food look like it should be consumed <laughs> I, I, def- um, I definitely go with the ethos that you uh, you eat with your eyes first it's a very old saying but it, it's it's definitely true i mean if you if you look at the plate and think wow that looks delicious then nine times out of ten it's going to be delicious yeah i mean only this morning you, you posted a picture of a, a a carrot dish um which just had such vibrancy it is kind of that fine line for me between I don't want to destroy this good work, but I also want to destroy it because it looks amazing. Well, it's ed- edible art, I'd like to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're definitely, uh, definitely achieving that. That dish was um, actually from one of the one of the Pavlova and Cream events, the uh, London Kitchen Social events. Right. Um, I, I created it for that one. Yeah. So that was uh, it. Was a throwback Thursday, but um, yeah, it was for one of those events. Yeah. So and you you've mentioned this in in the chat earlier but it's also it features on your your instagram profile that you are a, a forager and a fermenter mm-hmm. absolutely yeah so where where does one forage when you're based in central london well this is this this is the thing i mean i i've originally started getting into foraging when i was at iberge the lac because there was just fields and fields all around the property, but also in the property was golf courses. Golf courses, so there was loads of places to forage. Mm. And then when I decided to move out with Marie to go into London, that was one big worry I had. I thought, oh no, this, that's it. I can't. I'll have to keep coming back here on the train or what have you to be able to forage stuff for the restaurant. And then slowly, slowly walking around London, just naturally as I usually do if I was walking in the woods, I'd be looking around on the bushes, the patches of grass, and things like that. And instead of seeing all the treats that uh, dogs have left you, there was also uh, there was also I saw there was a lot of stuff that you could forage, 
And then right. I started looking into it, and then there is a whole other subculture called urban foraging, and there's loads of books you can get, and lots of lots of people are foraging within London. You just have to kind of keep your eyes peeled and know what you're looking for, really. But uh, especially around Camden, there's a lot you can forage. Right. Um, that is rose hips, damsons, primroses, uh, all sorts, yeah. That's what you just got to know what you're looking for. That's exactly uh, it. Or never pick something you're not 100% sure on, for, for sure. Yeah. Is that is that a learn-as-you-go experience then when you're getting into it? Do you kind of see something and go, oh, I wonder if that's edible, and then go and look it up somewhere? Um, well, with me, it's more of a, a case of people that I follow on Instagram and stuff like that, and also books I have. I've learned about the plant and then I've gone out and then I've been like oh there it is I found it kind of thing instead of finding something and then trying to find out if it's edible I try and do it the other way around right so if I if I find like I know what a bramble looks like but or a blackberry but for it I would I would already know what the blackberry looked like before I go out trying to find it yeah the interesting thing about that is is that from somebody who back at school was not an academic you know, are not interested in that. It just shows you that when, if you're learning about something that you care about and you're passionate about, then actually the the learning is the learning takes care of itself. A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, I'm more than happy to pick up a book now about plants and read it cover to cover in one night, no problem. But if you told like 14, 15, 16 upwards year old me that I'd be sat at home reading a book about plants, I'd I'd laugh at your laughing face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a little bit removed from trigonometry. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> which uh, I've still yet to find anybody who applies that in their day-to-day life. But anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, so what's the... Actually, there's, there is another thing that I wanted to talk about before uh, I kind of get on to what's next and, and what you guys are up to. But mm-hmm. it's, your, it's your tattoo. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a, well, it's another piece of art. I saw it on the cover of, uh, not on the cover, it was a, an article they did on you in Chatting Food magazine. Mm-hmm. Picture of you, and I'm hoping that's the picture you'll send me to put on the cover of this particular chat as well. It, it's just, it's it's unbelievable. Where does the the creativity come for something like that? It's a, an absolute piece of art. Oh, well, thank you very much. It was um, it was kind of a collaboration with the artist. The, the, um, the lady that did it, his name is Hannah Elizabeth. And I originally went in to speak to her because I wanted, because of my love of foraging and stuff, I wanted uh, foraged or edible plants all up my arm. Right. And um, she looked at me and said, yeah, that's a really good idea. I love that. And it's definitely something I can do. But I think that might be a little bit girly. And I was like, okay, yeah, actually, <laughs> that might be a little bit girly. So she said, well, how about I do a lot of... Um, other like dot work and line work and stuff like that. So how about I draw some stuff up for you and you say yes, no, or maybe. I was like, okay. So then she started doing all these uh, the patterns and I said I love them, but I still want to still want some sort of element of nature. So that's why she kept some bees in there. So I've got two or three bees running up my arm, as well as a. Uh, she loved doing. She said one of her favourite things. I asked her what, what what's one of your favourite things to do, and she said I love doing mandalas. So I said, okay, you can draw one of them up for me. So she did that for my elbow. And then there's all all other patterns. So I've got another pattern on my arm, which is um, it's called the pattern of life, which looks kind of like a flower. But if you, if you look at anything in a strong enough 
closely strong enough, then you can see that this pattern is the pattern of life. Everything has this pattern. If you get down to its bare cell, it'll all be right. this pattern. Um, so yeah, so we kind of worked on it together, and I started on my hands and worked worked my way up. Still, still not finished, but uh, COVID saw to not being able to finish it. But it's three quarters of the way finished. It's right, very, very painful, but yeah. I was going to say that's not something that you do in one setting. No, this is probably where I am up now, up to now. So it's my, yeah, almost my fingertips up to my top of my bicep has taken, yeah, almost a year. Right. Yeah, I, even the prospect of getting a tattoo on elbow does not sound enjoyable. Well, actually, um, when I was younger, before I got any of this done, I um, think I must have been about 16, 17, so God knows how I got it done. But um, I got a star on my elbow. Right. And then I got a, uh, I remember it very vividly, coming home and just, I, I think I lost my keys at this point. I was still living at home, lost my keys. So I knocked on the door and my mum answered the door. And I just proudly showed her my elbow, and she just grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and dragged me and said, "Get inside now." <laughs> I, I remember that. But yeah, I started. I started off with the elbows just because I heard it was the most painful place to be, able to get right. a tattoo. So I thought, being all tough, I'd be like, "Yeah, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have it on my elbows." And then probably about four or five years after that, I kind of regretted that I had it done, to be honest. Right. Which was right. Uh, which was exactly what my mum said. She said, you're going to regret that. I was like, no, 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 I'm definitely not going to regret this. But I ended Yeah, up... damn these parents for <laughs> yeah. having foresight and knowledge. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm very happy to what I've got at the moment, but it's still a work in progress. Yeah. Cool. So what are you guys up to at the moment? Obviously, you're, we're a month away from reopening, as you said. Mm -hmm. What's that going to look like for you? going forward so we're in quite a good position at the moment where we are going to be able to reopen i know many places are still umming and ahhing if they are going to be able to reopen but we will be we will be reopening and to give a little bit more of a, a lease of life into the restaurant mark maria myself are all pitching in and we're going to do a complete renovation of the restaurant Right. But just before that, we've just finished our last um, Angler at Home boxes. So we did them for a while, but unfortunately we won't be doing another one until we can open up because we're going to focus solely on the renovation or the refurb. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's where we're at at the moment. And we're just we're just eager just to get open and start having people enjoying our food, sat at the table enjoying our food. Um, I'm still doing my foraging bits and I'm still doing a little bit of fermentation as well. So Marie and I have done some lacto-fermented strawberries and we're going to make a lovely cocktail uh, with that for the new cocktail menu when we reopen which you can actually find the recipe of that on the latest uh, magazine of Jabari where I, I did an article of fermentation I've written the recipe down on there so you can find it there but um, we've been we've been keeping busy just uh, waiting we're just waiting really but the biggest thing is renovating the restaurant yeah so are you having to be are you hands-on with that renovation is that basically you all rolling your sleeves up and getting stuck in i mean we are manard about it for a while thinking well should we should we get someone in and just get them to do it completely and then marie and i thought well it's, it's nicer to have the personal touch so when someone comes into the restaurant and says oh i love that color of the wall do you know what it is instead of marie being like oh i'm very sorry, um, I can find out for you, but she doesn't know the answer straight away. But now, if someone says, I love this new colour on the wall, what is it? She'll be able to tell you, tell the customer straight away, yeah. which is another good thing 
about working together. But um, yeah, we're, we're very hands-on and we're, we're doing it all ourselves. Mark and I laid uh, some concrete on the floor the other day, which was back-breaking work, something I've not done for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we're all, we're all doing it ourselves, so it's more, more of a personal touch. Yeah, what and I suppose cost-effective as well, right? But um, yeah. I think that's really, it clearly to me demonstrates that you're really passionate about the place. Because uh, I, you know, I, I, that's obviously it's not your day job, right? It's not your chosen specialist subject, uh, as it were. But because you want to reopen and be the best that you guys can be, then it kind of is like, well, if we if that's what we need to do, then that's what we need to do. Well, that's a, it's exactly it. I mean, before I took the job of working at the private members club in Soho, uh, Marie and I were actually going to open our own restaurant, and we when we did all the budgeting and everything like that, we we weren't going to get any builders in or anything. We were going to do it all ourselves. So it's it's kind of what we we had in mind already and we knew what we were going to do. So now we're kind of just applying it to Anglo. Mm. But Anglo was always one of our favourite, well, was our favourite restaurant in London when, when we were uh, in other places. And we'd always kind of modelled what we were going to open our restaurant on, on Anglo. So yeah. it's kind of good that we've ended up at Anglo as well. But now we can we can kind of um, take the core of Anglo and just push it a little bit further and make it just that little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. And if, I suppose critically, you've got creative license here as well. Yes, which is, is very nice. So we can, with all three of us sat down, we can all say, right, what what do we have in mind? And we can all say what we have in mind. And then afterwards, we, we all say, right, okay, well, we all like this, but we all don't like that, but we all like this. So we can all yeah, it's all it's all our dream together. Instead of having, say, employ someone to come in and say, right, we're going to paint this like this and that and the other, and we just say, okay, well, we paid you, so we trust you, and that's it. It's, yeah, it's it's nice that we've uh, yeah got we'll be able we can choose whatever we want to do, which we have done. I mean, it's nothing. We haven't got a water feature in the middle or anything like that. It's not uh, not gone too crazy, but we've definitely been able to put our kind of mark on Anglo, which is nice. Yeah. No, that's that's great. I mean, I, I am the world's greatest guinea pig. So anytime you need to test a dish out, just give me a shout. I'll eat anything. Yeah, you, you're more welcome anytime. We give, um, we've we've made the the restaurant smaller, or the, we've got less tables in now. So we were at like thirty three, but now we're at fourteen. Uh, thirty three covers. We're now at only fourteen covers. Right. But we'll always make sure there's a table for you, Phil. Don't worry. Oh, bless you, <laughs> bless you. I'll eat out on the pavement. To be honest, I'm. Uh, the uh, for for good food I'll eat anywhere. You can hustle outside and get everyone to come in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, get on the payroll. <laughs> um, great. Um, well, I mean, from your your life and career so far, have you got any any funny stories from anywhere that you could share with us? I've I've got um I've got a story that uh, makes doesn't shed me in the best light, but um, yeah, there was uh, one time when uh, it was so it was my first head chef job, and I was working at this the private members club in Soho and as I just come from the country so I was doing a lot of techniques and stuff that I was doing from the country and so when I was in the countryside it was fine to just go outside with a pan some hay in it and then toast or burn the hay to crust any piece of meat so basically make hay ash that was normal when I was out in the countryside and then I thought oh well why am I doing it at in Soho, I might as well do it in Soho as well. So I took a pan of hay out into Soho Square, lit it, 
and uh, obviously lots of smoke and everything, and everyone looking at me. Didn't realise it's actually illegal to start a fire in, in the middle of London. <laughs> but um, so I was there quite happily burning it away, and then I heard the fire alarm in the restaurant going off, and I was like, oh God, one of the one of the commies or something burning something whilst I've been away. So I ran downstairs and I realised that I'd left the door, all the door, because it was a basement kitchen, mm. or a basement. The whole place was in the basement. I'd left all the doors open, so the wind was sucked through, so all the smoke was sucked through, and you couldn't see anybody in downstairs in the dining room. It was just full of smoke. So I had all the customers, all, had all the customers running out, and then I had the restaurant manager, and the manager of the uh, restaurant saying, what the hell is going on? I was like, I don't know, I've not lit in anything. He's like, well, what's in the ovens downstairs? Hey, what's all, what, have you been burning anything in the kitchen? It's like, no, not at all. And then I just realised I'm standing there with a blowtorch in my hand. I've just been burning a load of hay upstairs. <laughs> so I've just, I've just effectively just smoked everybody out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's um, you live and learn, right? Well, yeah, was, well, yeah. I was, um, I learned, I was reminded for that lesson for a couple of days because the whole restaurant just stunk of smoke. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's not uh, uh, something that people let you forget in a hurry either. No, not at all. But I just thought, yeah, that's fine. You just. I was going to go up and light a fire and start burning some hay upstairs. That's fine. But, uh, yeah, then I was told, don't do that again because you're not legally allowed to just light a fire in the middle of Soho. <laughs> which, which is probably fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. No, brilliant. So if you were sat in front of somebody and they were contemplating a career in, in hospitality, what would you say to them? Make sure you definitely want to have a career in, uh, in hospitality because there's uh, – there's a lot of things that you don't really know when you're getting into it that when later on in life you realise, like, uh, for example, you know, the classics, the long hours, not being able to go and see friends, uh, missing out on weddings and birthdays and stuff like that. So just 100% make sure you know exactly what you're getting into and make sure you definitely want, this is what you want. Yeah. The last thing, it's not the kind of career you want to be doing either where all of a sudden you want to change your mind because it's just, you'll, you'll always want to go back to it. So you, you'll probably end up, even if you do leave catering, you'll probably end up doing something on one of the sub, sub sectors of catering. But um, yeah, definitely make sure it's definitely what you want. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. It's, uh, it's got, there's got to be some part of it that sings to you that says, yeah, this is what I'm, I'm meant to be doing. And you're... You were clearly always destined to do something creatively, and now you're in an environment that allows you to do that. But it sounds like you've you've kind of grafted and and had some ups and downs to get there. But it, it sounds like you're you're kind of where you should be. If you if you want to get anywhere in catering, because well, especially with young students and stuff that I've been talking to, they all think that uh, you can just get into the kitchen, pick up a pair of tweezers, and you're on the pass and you're ready to go. But um, they don't really realise just how much hard work it is. So, mm. yeah, there's it's a lot of commitment that you have to have to want to get far in, in catering. If you, if you want to be noticed or any of that, then you have to put in the good work. You have to put in the hard work. But a lot of, yeah. uh, a lot of students at the moment, I feel, that I've met and spoke to, they don't quite realise that yet. But I'm sure that's one of the sort of things you will learn later on, and we will do, but... I, if I had someone in front of me saying, do you think this is what I should be doing? I would say just make sure it is what you want to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it, it, even if it's not, just take the learning that actually if you want to get on in anything, you're going to have to work hard. Yeah. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen by chance. 
that people make progress most of the time. There are some lucky people out there, but they're few and far between. They're very lucky. Lucky is definitely the word. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, just a question that just came into my head there. I'm really intrigued to know because you, you clearly place a lot of value on the creative space. How do you form uh, a plate of food? Where does the, Is there a spark that happens or you see something go, that will work with X, Y, Z? Or do you? is there a way that you start with the end in mind first and you work backwards? Or how does it work? Um, for me, uh, it starts with a single, a single element. So it could be a flavor or it could be a, tech, a new technique I've learned or an old technique. So it starts with that one thing. And then I build out from there. Right. Nine times out of ten, it is a flavor. And then I try and find a, a combination with that flavor that may not be what everyone, it's not the norm. It's definitely different, uh, more interesting. Mm. And then the, the whole dish will start breaking out from there. Because then once I've had those, once I've got that flavor combination, I think, right, what's the best way that flavor is? in the mouth so is it better to taste that flavor in a crisp in a puree like it will just in a sauce what's what's the best way to have it and to taste it and then it kind of just grows and grows and grows from there but yeah it usually starts with just the one thing and um with fermentation at the moment i've been learning that uh even just with one ingredient that's all you need and like i did a um uh, pre-dessert on our last menu before we closed, which was lacto-fermented butternut squash. And when you ferment wow. that squash, it doesn't. When you eat it, it doesn't taste like squash. It tastes like a mixture of melon, orange, apricot. It's very really yeah interesting. So I thought, well, what what would you usually do with, say, like an orange or a melon or something for a pre-dessert? We'd make a granita or an ice cream or a sorbet. So I made a sorbet. And I was like, wow, that's all it needs now. That's it, done. Right. So there are there are some times when it just happens like that. But a lot of the time, it's it has to start with a core ingredient and then work your way out. That's how I do it. And I suppose the, the skill is knowing when to stop as well, right? Because if you feel, as you just said with your um, your pre-dessert, that that's it, doesn't need anything else. That's That's probably as much of a skill as going, well, that would also work with... X, Y, Z. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I definitely, the older I've got and the longer I've been in this industry, I can see that dishes I did even five years ago, there's about 20 different elements on it. So I look at dishes now that I create in this year and last year, and most of them only have about three or four elements. Because right. I'd like to keep that, that core thing that I started with to have it still as the, the main show on the plate. If you had a million different ingredients on it, you kind of lose that and start kind of muddying the waters. So I would say now it's that's definitely what I do is it's less is more. Yeah, absolutely. You ever thought about getting yourself on Great British Menu? Um, I, I did MasterChef a long time ago. Did you? I, I did, yeah. And um, I, I only got through to the second round. But after doing that, I realized that um, it's not, it's not really for me. Uh, it's it's so much it is pressure obviously there's a lot of pressure involved in it but it's the competitions just have never really been never really excited me right so i think if i ever went on there it would be more for exposure kind of thing that's that's not the kind of chef or person i kind of kind of am 
I'm happy for people to come to the restaurant and learn about me through my food instead of watching me on telly. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. And I, 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 I'm myself, I sit there and watch it with Marie. But um, yeah, it's, it's not something that's really interested me since I was since I did MasterChef because I just realised right. there was a whole lot behind it that you don't really see, well, you don't see at all when you're watching on TV. Mm. Yeah, no, sure, I, I quite believe it. I just, I, I had the thought purely because I, your food is very creative and uh, and that show cries out for that level of creativity. I mean, if, if they'd like to give me a bell and have a chat about it, I'm, sure I'm more than happy yeah. to chat about it. But it's, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's not, not the kind of thing that I'd actively pursue. Yeah. And don't worry, I'm not. I'm not like scouting for them or anything like that. Just, well, I wish. I wish I was. <laughs> Great stuff. So, if if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about you or the restaurants, what's the best way for them to do that? So, myself personally, you can. Um, I I only really use Instagram and Facebook, so you can just search my name, which is Anthony Raffo. It's A N T H O M Y. Raffo is R A W F O. Yeah, you can find everything I'm doing on there. You can also find out what Marie's doing on there as well. Um, for the restaurant Anglo, the best thing to do is go onto their website, which is angloRestaurant.com. Uh, we have a, uh, have a newsletter on there as well, so if you can sign up for that, you get a monthly newsletter to let everyone know what we're doing and what aren't, what's going to happen in the next month. And, yeah. Great stuff. Well, look, thank you very much for, for coming on and, and sharing your story. I, uh, I look forward to the, the point where we can actually shake hands because um, we've only ever met virtually. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and wish you all the very best with your, your refurb and the reopening and beyond. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, you having me on. It's been, it's been nice to have a chat that hasn't been just solely about COVID, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a whole, the next hour is about that. So <laughs> I did, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll just hang up nice now. One. <laughs> Cheers, Anthony. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye bye. And there we have it, a cracking journey so far from Anthony and it certainly sounds like he's now exactly where he should be, in an amazing place that allows his creativity to flourish. Get yourself booked into Anglo as soon as you can. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality, but until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.